As we read through the Old Testament, is there an overarching message that the Lord wants to speak to us, his people on the earth today, regarding what is all of this about? And so I had a question I just want to throw out to the group. We're told to avoid talking about a few things. When you gather at Thanksgiving or you're at a party, what are the two things that we're generally told if you want to avoid fighting with people or getting into any kind of division, what are the two topics you generally are told to avoid? Religion and politics. That's it, Deb. Run exactly right. We're told to avoid these two things. And why? Um, why are we told to avoid these two things? You know, emotions run incredibly hot when it comes to religion, when it comes to politics. And so the spirit of the age says, hey, you know, go easy there, tread lightly. Um, let's, not, let's not bring your personal faith into this conversation. So just downshift and avoid these things. Let's just avoid one another and let's not talk about anything that might offend somebody else. It sounds like wisdom, except I think the real, the, the thing that was burning in my heart in preparation for tonight is that these are the very things that Jesus came uh, to speak directly into, directly into. And the, the messages that we're reading and, and studying together as we go through the kings and the prophets, it's the same, same mistakes are being made over and over and over again. And the Lord, through his prophets, is appealing to the kings, he's appealing to the people to return, to come back to him. And we're watching things just uh, dissipate, degenerate, and fall apart. And, you know, if you fast forward 2,000 years to where we are today, and we look at our culture, I believe there's a message that the Lord has for us as his ecclesia today, um, as his prophetic voice today. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament, they spoke for God. And I believe that's the call of the ecclesia today. We, as a corporate body, are called to declare God's truth, even in the most uncomfortable circumstances that we might find ourselves in, uh, because it's not our opinions. Um, you know, there is, God is calling, he's inviting, and he wants people to turn their hearts to him. But how will they hear if no one preaches? If we avoid these topics, how are they going to hear? And so I think, I just want to submit to you guys that these stories that we're reading through, I think we can downshift and go, this is just a history lesson. This is ancient history. But I think that the Holy Spirit is wanting to stir things in our hearts on how we can be salt and light today uh, in, a, in a culture and in politics and in religion and all these things that are, we can see them careening more and more off course from the word of God. What are we, how are we supposed to engage? How, what is the Lord saying to us? And so there's just a few, a few things to think about there, but I want to start tonight with a couple of key verses. Uh, I'm going to just backtrack us up a little bit to remind us of a few things. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, this is right when Israel is actually expressing they want to have a king. And so in 1 Samuel 8 verse 6, they say, give us a king to judge us. Samuel prays to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. 
So we have to just pause right there really quick. God views Israel's desire to have a human being as a king as an outright rejection of his leadership. His plan was to administrate a kingdom over Israel where he was the king without a human mediator. And yet here's Israel wanting to be like the other nations. And so he is viewing their desire for a king as an outright rejection. And he says, continuing on in verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so now they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's listen to that really quick. I think it's important. Uh, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And listen to this warning. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen to run before his chariots. It's military. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He'll take your male and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys, and he'll put them to his, to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you'll be his slaves. And in that day, you'll cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and the Lord. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight all our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And that's how they get Saul. I just wanted to recount the story there for us as we begin to look at this, politics and government and religion and, and what is God saying to the believers as we look at these stories and we're watching this kingdom of Israel kind of collapse. Um, you know, Jesus says something in Mark 8 verse 15. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Isn't that interesting? There's something that God is warning us as his people about, and, and he just laid out a long list of political leaven, that this king, if you ask for this human leader, if you put your trust in human government, this is what you can expect to happen. They're going to tax you. They're going to protect their power and their wealth, and they are going to uh, employ you, and you're going to be end up being their slaves, and there's going to be this caste system. And so... <laughs> And so there's a warning there in the heart of God. This was never, having human kings was never God's ideal. It's almost like there's a concession where the Lord's still pleading with them. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. This isn't my, this isn't the ideal. It's not my will for you, but I'm going to concede and give you kings. And I'm going to disciple you along the way. And he doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't forsake them. He is ever faithful and he works through kings. He works even through some of the wicked kings, God is still working. Uh, the enemy never trumps God's plan. I want to say that very clearly 
Even through failed human leadership in government and institutions, God's will is going to be done. His plan, his purpose, his calling, he's going, even what we human beings mean for evil and what uh, powers and principalities mean for evil, God can work for good. That's just who he is. But he's calling to us to remember where to put our hope, where to put our, our faith in these days. Because the temptation, the spirit of the age is always calling, just like it is in Samuel's day. Let's get human beings to solve all our problems. Let's get human beings. If we can just get the right man or a woman in office, we're going to be okay. They'll sort it out for us. But it's just, it's never worked out that way in the history of humanity. You might have micro, uh, micro seasons where good leaders come into power and they change and there's some good things that happen. And God does work through good human government. Hear me on that. There are, there are men and women called to serve in government. Uh, and God does bring reprieve. He does bring revival. He does through human leaders, bring repentance and, re and restoration for seasons. And yet you still see at a macro level, human leadership over the course of all of human history continues to struggle, stumble, and, and, and search for solutions outside of God's word, outside of God's chosen anointed one, Jesus. And so we have to think about that. Of, of why has God got all these stories of these kings. And so there's in the kings of Judah, we are in the divided kingdom. So the, the tribes of Israel have broken off. You have the tribes of Judah. Judah has more good kings than Israel did. But there's basically there's 12 kings in Judah that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And there are six good kings. And there were two okay kings who maybe started out well and then fell into evil in the end of their days. The kings of Israel had 18 evil kings and one kind of a mixed king who was Jehu. So by and large, Israel and Judah dealing with more wicked kings than they are anyone that's called good. And even some of these good kings uh, still made horrendous mistakes. You know, you can think about David, and there's some obvious things there, but Hezekiah ends up fathering the most wicked king in Israel's history, uh, and he out of his pride and arrogance, invites the Babylonians to come in and look at the storehouse of treasure in Israel's, uh, that, that belongs to Israel, which in, invites them to come and invade. Um, Asa ends pretty poorly. He's doing so well. He's doing so well. But we see the same pattern, the sinfulness and the depravity of the human heart, the human condition, when it's placed into power. There's not a human, human man or, or human female that is absolutely immune to the seduction of power and of wealth and of using their position to do, could, can possibly do great damage to many, many other people. It's like you get in that position of power and this magnifying glass, whatever's in your heart, this magnifying glass, the power magnifies that through your leadership for good or for ill. And we can see that pattern over and over and over through not just the scriptures, but through all of human history. And so how does God want us to relate to these issues? And that's kind of the topic I want to dive into with you. And we'll, we'll, I don't have all the answers. I'm just telling you what was in my heart as I was looking at this. I'm going to present a few things, but I want to have kind of a, a great discussion tonight 
and hear what you're thinking about some of these things too, obviously. Um, but let's, let's back up really quick to what Jesus was saying. You know, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. You know, religion, beware the, beware the leaven of the religious elite that think that through their works, they're going to attain righteousness. Beware the leaven of the, those that are motivated by political power and their own self-interest in those positions. You know, many times in Jesus' earthly ministry, they're trying to crown him as king before it's time. They want to rush to the end. They're trying to get, let's get Rome out of here and let's establish your kingdom, Jesus, right now, because you're the king. And it's, they're trying to do the same thing that the people of Israel were doing in Samuel's day. And God has a much, much better plan than any human being could ever, Paul says, see here, we haven't even seen here, or can't even conceive with our mind what God has planned for his people. And so in the fullness of time, God's going to restore the, the, the kingdom of heaven uh, on the earth. But it's not that time yet. And so, you know, let's have a, a quick conversation about the kingdoms of the world. When you think about all the different political states, the governments, whose kingdoms are they? I think this is a really key conversation to have because you kind of have, in some respects, some, some in the church say it's dominion now. Like these all belong to God now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and all these kingdoms are his. He's been given all power, all authority. And he, those kingdoms belong to Jesus. And then others would say, actually, the kingdoms of this world are under the power of the prince of the, of the air, of the power of the air, who is Satan. So who, what, what's true? Jesus certainly is ascended. He certainly is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, so is it basically he's telling us to take more and more control over all the kingdoms of this earth in his name and have military dominion? Uh, economic dominion, political dominion, it's all theocracies everywhere, and that's what, that's what the plan is? Or is there something else going on? And I want to be very upfront with you. I'm coming from the camp where I believe that just as Satan took Jesus out, uh, you can read about this in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, when he tempts him in the, in the wilderness, you might remember Satan takes Jesus up to the top uh, of a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, these are mine to give to whomever I choose. Interesting. And he says, all you have to do, Jesus, is worship me and I'll give them to you. And Jesus says, it's written, you shall uh, have no other gods. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and have no other gods before him. But that's the temptation was basically a shortcut. Satan wanted to undercut God's plan because Jesus is going to inherit all of the nations. He is going to inherit all of the kingdoms of this world. But there's a process that the Father is instituting. And even when Jesus was resurrected, he tells, you might remember in Acts 1 verse 6, there's only one question that his disciples ask him after 40 days when he's resurrected on the earth. And they say, now is it the time when God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, the Father alone knows that time, but for you, you are going to be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. 
In other words, it's now is the time for evangelism. Now is the time to preach and proclaim, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The father knows when the time is to restore the kingdom. But that's, so that's not, that wasn't for them to know. Um, but it's like Jesus is commissioning them to preach uh, and to teach and disciple the nations and not be super concerned with what is going on, who's Caesar, who's on the throne. You know, all these empires come and go, don't they? I mean, they might be around for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they rise and they fall. Kings come, kings go. Political power comes, political power wanes. You have just this ebb and this flow throughout all of human history, and lives are caught up in that, and there's wars, and Jesus is trying, I think, to give us all perspective. And again, it comes back to that core question, where is our hope truly, our ultimate hope truly anchored? Because if it, the more that our hopes are anchored in this life, the more politics and what's going on here are going to pull our gaze to the terrestrial realm to focus on how can we fix the, the problems right around us. The more that we have uh, eternal gaze and perspective, I believe where Paul says in, in Colossians 3, set your minds on things above. We're going to see things from his perspective and have the mind of Christ as we engage and again, I'm not saying that God doesn't send people into uh, politics and into every sector of society. I truly believe that because that's what it means to be salt and light. I think we, it, it comes down to expectations. What, what is God doing through that and, and, and freeing us from the cares of this life that will weigh us down with anxiety and disrupt our peace? And I think to, and people give up and they lose their hope because things get so dark. And so we wanna avoid walking in these ditches. One ditch is to fall into hopelessness and say, well, it's all going, going to hell in a handbasket, so I guess we'll just disengage. And on the other ditch is, you know, let's, let's get into politics and try to take over the world, military politics and, and economics and, and rule the world for Jesus. Uh, and, and so in between these, we have to just find that, that, that middle ground in the Lord of, Help me to see what you're doing in my time and let me line up with your will and do what I see the Father doing. No more and no less. And let my heart be forever anchored in the, the truth that he is coming back. He's a judge and he's going to establish his kingdom when he comes back. He's going to rule the entire earth. And those kingdoms will become the kingdoms of our God. That is Revelation uh, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, and he will rule and reign forever. And so there will come a time when Jesus sets up his kingdom, and we do have access. We have been given power and authority now. I'm not saying we don't have any power. We do. He has been, he has been given the name above all names, and his power is greater the blood of Jesus is greater. His name is greater. We have tremendous authority on this earth. And as we declare and advance the kingdom, um, but it's, it's not about exerting. It's that same power that Jesus had when he was with Pilate. You might remember that story. You know, it's in Matthew 22. You know, Pilate says, are you from, uh, are you a king? 
are, are you from a kingdom here? And he says, well, you know what? I'm just going to read it. Let's pull it up. John 18. This is 33. This is Jesus is with Pilate. So Pilate enters his headquarters again, and he calls Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate says to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone that is of the truth listens to my voice. So here's in an earthly perspective, Jesus is an innocent man. He is in front of a human leader who has the power to condemn him or release him. And he says something really fascinating. He says his kingdom is not from this world. And so Pilate is only looking at things like any of us do when we're just relying on our own human perspective. He's looking at things from man and from a carnal understanding. And Jesus came to free us from the carnal understanding. His kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's from an entirely different realm. It operates on entirely different principles, values, truth. Uh, and it's uh, unless you're born again, you cannot operate in this kingdom. And it completely undoes the value sets of this, of this world. And the kingdoms of this world, the kings and the judges of this earth, and Psalm 2, you might remember, why do the nations rage? Why do the kings cast off restraint, right? The whole earth wants to do away with God uh, in utter rebellion. And that's the, that's the depravity of humanity. It's the same depravity that's, that was in Israel that continued to chase other idols and, and, and look to rebel and come out from God's leadership. That's human understanding and, and, and human depravity, human sinfulness. God's, through Jesus, has come to free us from that mindset. And yet we can, when we, when we get, get into our own carnal minds, if, even if you're a believer, you know, we can quench the spirit, we can resist what God is doing, and we can become carnally minded and soulish, and we can be pulled uh, in by the spirit of the age, we can be influenced, which Paul says, you need to have your mind renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conform to the pattern of this world. That's why I think this message is so key in a nutshell. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to look at politics and judge it, what's going on by what's in the newspaper or online, or by what some thought leader is telling us to think that's on the news. The Lord is calling us to consider his story and his gospel and the truth from the word of God and to become witnesses uh, of his return and of this gospel of the kingdom, wherever he may put us. And so these kingdoms, you know, you might remember in Daniel 10 verse 13, it's an in interesting story there with Daniel. He's praying, he's fasting, He's asking for God's help, and it takes 21 days, and then an angel comes with the message, but the angel says that the spirit prince of Persia was resisting me. I had to go get Michael, the archangel, to come and aid me, 
and there's a spiritual battle. And as soon as you ask God for understanding, he released me to give it to you. But somehow it takes 21 days for the intelligence from the kingdom of heaven to reach Daniel. I think that's a fascinating verse. You know, we tend to look, human beings, we tend to look at what is physical, what is around us in the natural world. And we forget that the world that God created is spiritual. You know, you are a spiritual being primarily. You do have a body, your body, soul, and spirit. And the world is material, you know, it's physical, but it's also the spirit realm is real. And there's princes that are running principalities behind human governments, behind the scenes. They always have been. And they're in utter rebellion to the leadership of God. You know, Satan took one third of this, of this realm with him when he fell. And these have been given some dominion over the earth. God is, in essence, he's through Christ. He is saving and bringing out prisoners of war. He is rescuing those, literally, it's Isaiah 61, those that are prisoners, those that are captives, those that are prisoners. That is you and me in our lost state. You know, that's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, before you knew Christ, you are all following your carnal natures, following after the power of, or after the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And so it's a, the gospel is a rescue mission behind enemy lines. Uh, the enemy thought he won when he crucified Christ and, and removed a political opponent, but that was exactly what God wanted him to do to un, undermine the demonic powers and principalities all over the world. And so that's the real story that's going on is the gospel has been preached and is going to the ends of the earth. And then the end is going to come and Jesus is going to establish his rule and his reign. And in the meantime, as we're watching these events unfold, how are we to posture our hearts and our minds in the midst of a lot of upheaval, a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of brokenness? How do we maintain our perspectives so that we don't get swept away in an age of confusion and deception. So in Matthew 22, it's also interesting, I had referenced that earlier, you know, this is the famous passage when they're, they're trying to trap Jesus, the Pharisees, um, and they're asking him a question about taxes. Do you give tax to Caesar? And Jesus said an amazing thing, very profound, render to Caesar what Caesar's, but render to God what belongs to God. He asks them, whose, whose picture is on that coin? They say, well, it's Caesar's picture. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but then render to God what is God's. You know, God is for the separation of church and state. I think that's so, so clear in this passage that God comes first. Like what God alone deserves worship and our, we're made in his image. And this world, you know, Jesus didn't go, he didn't, right into Rome and undo the emperor's uh, earthly power on his earthly reign. No, Jesus was bringing a spiritual truth. He wants people who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. And through that proclamation, human hearts are changing. And I just think about where those, those 120 that were in the upper room, how different the world is from that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as it's spread across the world, and we're watching these events unfold at a macro level, this is uh, just a remarkable 
transformation. You know, Jesus wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a wealthy man. He didn't have a bunch of businesses. Um, he didn't sit on an earthly throne. And so his definition of power is so different than, than what we are taught and what we see all around us and what we experience from earthly leaders. And so I think, you know, God wants to free us from the tyranny of and, and the futility of human leadership. You know, in Isaiah 40, verse 15, it's, he says, the nations are just a drop in the bucket uh, to the Lord. He raises one up and he sets another aside. That's in Psalm 75. You know, kings come and kings go, and, and God is the one who is determining the course of human history. You know, sometimes we can feel like God is like a, a heavenly uh, custodian kind of picking up all the, after all the mess of what Satan is doing. And I just think it's the exact opposite. God is playing, you know, 1,000 dimensional chess. And, you know, Satan is a player in the story, but it's not like they're equal where Satan and God are at this tug of war. God is infinitely more powerful than Satan. And as these things unfold, it's so important for us as his disciples to understand where we are in the story. And that's why eschatology has to be understood. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this Bible study. Uh, read through the whole Bible and, 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 and uh, embrace and understand the whole counsel of God. You know, there, I've heard some people say, you know, well, eschatology, that's just a, it's just for those like a hobby, you know, study in the scriptures. And the truth is, it's, it's one third of the Bible has to do with the second coming of Jesus or events that are pertaining to the end. Uh, it's just a remarkable understanding. Like this is such a key part of, of his commissioning to us as his ecclesia. And so as we look at government, culture, and religion, how do we relate to these? Well, we're told to pray. And this is in, I'm going to read a couple of these verses. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First four verses, he says, first of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is the desire that I, that I want us to, to focus on here. Why are we praying for kings and for all the people in high positions and all the powers, people that have power? Because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our Heavenly Father wants people to understand who Jesus is um, and to set them free from earthly ambitions and cares, um, to see things from the eternal perspective. But it is good that we pray for those that are in leadership, uh, you know, that that it's Easier to come to the Lord in terms of uh, having time when there's when it's peaceful and quiet. When you're running for your life, it's a little bit more difficult to uh, to find time to study the Word of God. And so, we, as we pray for peace and quiet and dignified lives, it's in that context that we can begin to minister and have some effect. You know, God does move through persecution. Obviously, without persecution, the gospel wouldn't have spread from Jerusalem to Antioch and then beyond. So, God does move through persecution and, and the, the blood of the martyrs spreads the gospel. 
Uh, and it's like a fertilizer that causes the gospel to grow at an exponential rate. But there's a desire here that we're praying and we're interceding that these human leaders would come into alignment so that there's peace and there's quiet, so that hearts are turning to God and to Jesus and a knowledge of the truth. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our convenience. It's not for our political leanings and our political opinions. God is wanting to see people saved. And that's the, that's the beating heart of, I believe, the urgency of the hour that we're living in is that, you know, are we to be political activists or are we to preach the gospel? You know, um, these are the questions that I'm thinking about and wrestling with and saying, okay, Lord, what's the balance here? Some of these things can be held in tension. I don't want to be dogmatic, but I do want to just go through some of these scriptures and look at examining like, again, Lord, what is your heart in the midst of this? Where, where are you calling our eyes to be locked in on? What do you want our, our thoughts to be uh, focused on in this season? Because there's so many voices and so much noise out there calling for our attention. So how do we relate to government, uh, culture, and religion? This is, we're, we're called to pray. I want to say we're also called to prophesy. And let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is in verse 15. We are the aroma, the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, uh, the fragrance of death to the other fragrance from life to life. So we're called, to, it's just kind of the same idea as being salt and light. We are to be this prophetic witness to the world around us of both of, of life for those that God is calling to his kingdom. And we're going to be, we're going to have the smell of death to those around us who are, who are committed to a lifestyle of rebellion. And I think this is the danger going back to the very beginning where we say, let's just avoid talking about religion and politics. Let's just get out of those difficult conversations because we don't want to offend anybody. But if we don't actually bring the gospel into those conversations and talk and speak out the truth of God as a prophetic witness to prophesy the truth, then we're, we're actually um, abdicating. We're abdicating. And God wants us to, to not bring our political opinions into the story. It's just not about Republican or Democrat. You know, I tell people it's not about elephant or donkey. It's, just, it, it's the lamb. We're called to be our allegiances to the lamb of God. And so our political opinions, everyone's got an opinion. But we have to be rooted in the word. And we pray the word of God. We're asking for the gospel to go forth with power. And then we're going to prophesy into culture and to wait in there, just like Paul did in, in Greece. You know, I've, I've said that on a number of teachings over, on here over the past months. You know, I love Acts 17, 30. He's speaking to a culture that is absolutely um, just overwhelmed and infused with pantheism. And he starts talking to them about this statue that he saw that didn't have a name of a God on it. And he says, hey, I want to tell you about the statue over there that you say is, is dedicated to an unknown God. I'm here to tell you who that God is. And he begins to tell them about Jesus. But he says this amazing, uh, powerful um, truth. He says in Acts 17, verse 30, um, God had, for, for a time, God looked away from your ignorance 
and your and as you worshiped all these other gods. But now God has commanded men and women everywhere to repent because there, there's a judge that's going to come to judge the whole world. And God has shown us who he is when he raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Scriptures. I love that. It's so simple. It's so true. He wades right into this public uh, setting with all these wise thinkers, and Paul is engaging them in conversation and discussion, and he brings the gospel right in there. Some people mocked him, it said. Some people made fun of him. Some people scoffed, thought he was crazy. But then there were some that actually gave their hearts to Jesus. And I think that's so beautiful, and it's so simple. There is a, there is a king, and he's coming. He's coming to judge the world, and we are, we are all sinners. God brings us and transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. When we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Lord and confess that with our mouth, we're saved. Um, and so Paul is bringing that in there. I think that's our calling as, a, as the Ecclesia today, just like the prophets of old were there to bring God's word to those that were in political leadership. I believe the Ecclesia is called to pray as the prophets did, but also prophesy to speak boldly to political powers. And, you know, and say the truth. You know, don't put your hope in human government. There is a judge and he's coming. And he's not going to run the world based on the U.S. Constitution or any government document. He's going to run his kingdom based on the will of his heavenly father and his word. And it's, it's not a democracy. He's a king. And so I think as, as we step into that role... Um, we're going to be able to, to be salt and light, to be that fragrance of Christ in the midst of a, of a very challenging and difficult, uh, tumultuous time in human history. But when has it ever not been? There's nothing new under the sun. And rebellion and idolatry and people's hearts pulling away from God is nothing new. And there's no one beyond his grace or his compassion or his love. But if we downshift and we disengage from that conversation, how are they ever going to hear about the gospel? Um, Revelation 19.10 says, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. I love that. All, all true prophetic uh, unction is going to glorify Jesus and talk about who he is, his divinity and his power and his kingship and who, why he's coming back and, and how you are saved. Uh, I love that. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And we've been given the joy and the privilege of bearing that prophetic witness to the time and to the people and to the culture, to all the, the uh, different segments of society, wherever the Lord may put you and put me. So he's called to preach. We're called to pray. We're called to prophesy. And we're called to preach. In Romans 10, 14 through 16, how will they hear unless a, unless a preacher goes? I love that, like, you know, we can get caught up in uh, political rallies and trying to get this person elected, that person elected. I just believe if we focus on preaching, saying, okay, Lord, who can I reach today? You know, at a macro level, uh, you know, are things, are we going to be able to change and, and bring about a lot of change in America? I think America or any country, for that matter, our problems are primarily spiritual, not political. And so... You have to have a spiritual solution for spiritual problem. And politics and culture and uh, a lot of these other things are fruit that is on that tree. 
But the fundamental core issue in the heart of man is a spiritual problem. And so as we go through and we're, we're ministering uh, aid to those around us with the truth, we've got to present the spiritual truth and the spiritual solution to the spiritual problems all around us. And that's how we're salt and light. And so I believe that God's calling for kingdom influencers. Again, this isn't about disengaging and not going into the marketplace or the government or culture and religion. God puts people in all sectors of society. You know, Daniel is a great example of being set within Babylon, a very wicked kingdom. And he was there as an influencer. Um, he spoke to kings. Uh, he didn't really minister very comforting words to the kings that he was there, but he was, God still was providing a witness and a light through Daniel's ministry and his prophetic office. Um, so, you know, there's people, there's great heroes that, that I hold very near and dear to my heart of Christian brothers and sisters that have gone before us. One of my favorites is William Wilberforce. He overturned slavery in England, 20 year battle. You know, today is Juneteenth. Um, and William Wilberforce in the UK overturned slavery through an amazing uh, ability to rally people, to communicate vision, and to be pursuing justice uh, in his time. And yet, at the same time, as true and as mag magnificent as that is, there's more slavery today than at any point in human history, at a macro level. That doesn't mean that William Wilberforce shouldn't have done what he did, of course. You have to do what is right to do and what God shows you to do in your life. But we were watching at a macro level, uh, everything that Jesus says in Matthew 24 is on the earth in greater and greater intensity and volume. As it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be at the end. You know, and, and in the days of Noah, it says that man's heart and thought was uh, continually set upon violence and wickedness. And there's, a, I'm not going to get into the whole days of Noah thing right now, but I just want to make a point that, you know, William Wilberforce and, and, and you know, these, these influencers, kingdom influencers in the marketplace and in government and culture uh, and, and, and in religion, we're called to bring that salt and light and to permeate that, but we're going to be there to pray, prophesy, and preach. Um, and still our hearts have to be connected to the ultimate reality and our ultimate hope. Is, is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, as we, we, we're reading through all these, these terrible stories in, in the Old Testament of, of idolatry and kings continuing to, to fall and things are just breaking down. We have to locate the longings in our heart into the presence of Jesus and into the ultimate hope of his return and, and uh, his perfect leadership because if human history has taught us nothing else, it's taught us that, you know, every human leader is fallible and broken, and we need God. The wisest thing we can do is, is, to, is to give him our worship and our praise and our adoration. And so some final thoughts going back, circling all the way back to Mark 8, 15. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and beware the leaven of Herod. In Acts 4 uh, is an interesting story where the disciples are preaching. There's a miracle at the gate, beautiful. Peter and John, these disciples get pulled in by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious Pharisees of the day, and they beat them, they whip them. And they, the disciples leave in Acts 4. They're, they're, they're told not to preach the name of Jesus. And basically they say, are we going to please man rather than God? 
No, of course not. We have to please God and do what God is calling us to do. And I think that's part of the tension is there's what man wants and there's what God wants. And the, the ecclesia is called to pursue God's aims and God's will above all. And these uh, in Acts 4, uh, they actually quote Psalm 2. And they say, uh, in relationship to the Sanhedrin, why do they rage and why do they cast off restraint? And it's interesting that, they, that these early disciples and early apostles quote Psalm 2. Um, you know, again, we've been talking about the rebellion and what's going on. But here you have the leaven of the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, who think that they're actually serving God, but they're actually persecuting what God is doing. Um, so it's an example of the leaven of the Pharisees that we have to be aware of in our day. You know, in uh, Acts 12 is interesting. You have a story of Herod. It's, it's actually Herod's grandson is on the throne in Acts 12, and he kills James with the sword. And um, I'm just going to summarize. He is looking to make political allies. He notices that how pleased the Jews were when he kills James. And so he grabs Peter and is going to put Peter under guard. And he's going to kill Peter. Um, just the same way he kills James, and he's doing it for a politically expedient re reason. He wants the favor of the people that he's ruling, and so he's going to do great evil because he wants to curry favor with man. He's going to break God's commandments as a political leader so that, so that he, he gets what he wants, and that's the leaven of Herod, to appeal and to curry favor with man and to consolidate and protect his power base and, and his his, uh, his house, and he's more concerned about uh, what's in his bank account, what's going on in his political arena than he is about the word of God and, and, and following and obeying God. So he grabs Peter and he's going to sacrifice him. Or he's going to murder him after Passover. And we know the story. The angel comes despite heavy guards. Um, he doubles the guard around Peter, but the angel still comes. The shackles fall. He leads Peter out. And Peter is, is uh, set free. He, find, he goes to the house where they're all praying and interceding for his release. And, uh, and Peter goes on in his apostolic journey. But it's interesting at the end of Acts 12, Herod, uh, again, he's upset. He, he actually leaves, goes to Caesarea after all this falls apart for him. He's upset that he lost Peter. But then he gets, he, he's going up to settle some kind of a dispute. And the people start praising him and saying he's got the voice of a God. And it says, uh, towards the end of chapter 12, that Herod actually receives the praise of people and doesn't give God the glory. And it says that God strikes him down and he's eaten by worms. I mean, it's one of the strangest verses, in my opinion, in the whole Bible. Wow, you know, eaten, what, is that? what does that mean? What did that look like? Uh, how long did it take? You know, the details are a little vague, but here's a political leader, the leaven of Herod. And, you know, Again, I think at a macro level in chapter 12, you see Satan is trying to eliminate these apostles from preaching the gospel, and God is, his power is greater. And so that's shown through Acts 12. Satan is working, God is, is completely undermining and doing, his will is going to be made manifest, despite what Satan is doing. That's one level in Acts 12. But I think it's also interesting that, you know, when Jesus talks about hell, he says, he talks about it. There's the weeping, gnashing of teeth. And he also says where the worm or the devourer 
uh, is gnawing incessantly. So I think it's fascinating here that I think there's kind of a, a lesson that, that the Lord, by this judgment on Herod, is actually speaking and pronouncing very clearly uh, as a picture for the culture around uh, you know, that witnessed that event. And it's obviously recorded in scripture for us all to consider that this godless, uh, wicked king, Herod, who's coming from a house, his grandfather is the one that killed every Hebrew male two years and younger when Jesus was born, that this rotten house, this rotten political house was going to be judged by God. And it's picture, in my, in my opinion, it's a picture of hell uh, that the Lord is, is contrasting. These were the messengers that were bringing the gospel of life. And here's this political leader who is bringing death. And his end was to be judged by the king and the judge of the universe. And so as we look at all that's going on around us in the world, in our country, in our culture, all the upheaval, I believe the Lord would have us look at everything through scriptural lens, through prayer, through prophesying, through preaching. And, and what does it mean to be salt and light? How do we wisely engage? Uh, we're, we're, what is truth and what, where do we go for truth? Um, you know, I think two fundamental questions face humanity right now um, across all cultural divides. Who do you say Jesus is and where do you go? What source do you turn to to know the truth? I think these two questions are so key for us all in these days, but I think the Lord would have our hearts as we read through the journey of all this human leaders, leaders that we're watching in the scriptures, all the ups and downs, some good things happen too. It's not all bad news, but I believe the Lord would have us focus on the beauty of Jesus as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that our hope and our faith would be anchored in his return and in his perfect leadership. Um, and that in the meantime, he's calling us to be those uh, emissaries and influencers in the kingdom through all the sectors of society to be his salt and light and bringing uh, the leaven of the kingdom, the good leaven into the world and the culture around us so that some might be saved because that is uh, his ultimate desire. So God bless you guys. Uh, let's go ahead and we can open up for some discussions. Uh, I wanna ask maybe the starting question, um, Coming back around, what do you guys think about that? Is there a parallel between the prophets of the Old Testament and things that they that they did? Uh, and is God is God wanting the church, the ecclesia, to move in that in our day? I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and, and what you guys think about that. While you were sharing it in the way that you shared it, I was thinking about the parallel, you know, for our time today with what was happening in scripture. And um, we, I believe wholeheartedly that we're seeing that same picture, you know, where um, you have a government that's doing, setting itself up against God and against um, the things of God to promote their own agendas and to align themselves with people, um, winning the favor of people, just no regard for him whatsoever. But you, you at the same time have, the true messengers, those that are among, you know, the remnant in the earth that are proclaiming the gospel, um, facing persecution, you know, um, standing in, in the midst of so much running, you know, against um, what's being 
set in the culture, but standing up for truth. And so I just think, you know, uh, we're definitely in a place that it's parallel and paramount, like you said, that we know the truth and that we're willing to stand up for it and not be apathetic to um, what's happening around us. I also thought it was interesting uh, to think about what you were saying with the contrast. You know, we have the scripture, uh, I pulled it up, it's Luke 4, 6, and it says, and the devil said to him, this is when Jesus was being, he was brought into the wilderness after being baptized and the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested and Satan is, is there talking to him. Um, and he says, all this authority, I will give you. He's telling Jesus and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. So we have that scripture and then contrast that with Jesus after the resurrection saying in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So we see like that was what his going to the cross, you know, fulfilled what was necessary for him to take back the authority that had been lost through the fall. Yet we also see that what you're saying is truth, that there is an order and a, and a time, you know, the Bible talks about there's a time for everything under the sun, there's appointed seasons. And we're still in this time of, of what you mentioned evangelism. So we're seeing that both of these things are absolutely truth um, but then, you know, Jesus, when he's saying that in Matthew 28, that he's been given all authority, he's also then commissioning his disciples to that and telling them that he's given them the authority now go into the, all the earth and preach the gospel. So we got the great commission in that same place that he's saying it. And what I thought was interesting is just to consider what you and I have talked about before that God is outside of time, you know, and the Bible also tells us for us who are within time that in heaven, that one day is like a thousand years. And so it's like, we see both of these things that are true, but they're out, but in, in there be in there, in them being said today, we look at the, the reality that God is outside of time, you know? And so it's just, he's still fulfilling what his plans and purposes were. Um, and, and one aspect of it has already been accomplished, which is why we can stand in the victory and we can take the authority. But as you pointed out, which I thought was so profound, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And we know that he's going to destroy this earth and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's like, this isn't good enough here, what's happening, the way it's happening. And so in God's time, in God's way, he's going to bring his kingdom to the earth. Praise the Lord. Yeah, as you're, as you're sharing, I'm just reminded of some conversations I've had over the years where people are like, well, you know, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Like, all these, the government, like, it's going to be conspiring against Christians. And I'm like, man, it's, it's what's in the Bible. It's not a conspiracy. It's revealed truth that at the end of human history, there's a one world government that is set up against Jesus's leadership. And it's a religious system. It's a political system. And it's an economic system. Um, and so I'm, I don't think I'm a conspiracy theorist at all. I just take I just take the Bible at face value. And so, you know, there's people that that get upset and their their peace gets disturbed because at a macro level, we're seeing some of those machinations coming into a, a effect more and more. But I don't think we're supposed to be surprised by that. I think we should be motivated. 
that as the days get more and more evil, we don't retreat more and more to our corners. I believe we go more and more out and preach the truth and we're, we're light and we declare God's wisdom from the ages. Uh, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did, you know, when, when they're in Babylon and, and they're told you have to worship this thing, you have to worship this false image, bow down. When you hear the music and you, it's interesting, here's all this music and this culture, this art, bow down and worship it. Uh, and they said, no. And, and when the king brings them for an explanation, again, he's, it's his kingdom. He's, he's furious and he's demanding an explanation. Why aren't you doing what I told you to do? And I love their response. We don't owe you an explanation. <laughs> I love that because render to Caesar what Caesar's render to God what's God's. And in that sense, Caesar was asking for something from them that only belonged to God. He was, he was demanding them worship him. But worship is reserved for one person alone. Our creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, our heavenly father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So, sorry, I'm kind of rambling there. I just was thinking about, as you're saying that, you know, to not let our peace get disrupted in this time, but to have that the, the firmness and the security of standing on his word and, and knowing what is to come and being unshakable because our confidence and our hope is not in, you know, some kind of political utopia that some political leader tries to force upon us all. So anyone else have any other thoughts out there that would like to jump in? Actually, as you are sharing, I was thinking of church happening in the church is the way, uh, the church is run, the way ministry is run, you know, it's having the human king or human head. And, um, and, um, and coming to your question of the Old Testament, should it apply right now? And I feel, yes, we should uh, flow in the prophetic. We should be led by the spirit, not just filled by the spirit. A lot of people are being spilled, filled by the spirit, including me. And I'm I'm learning the hard way. And I, because just because I'm filled by the spirit, I always jump the gun at the wrong time. And then <laughs> knocks me down and say, and it's like, just because you want to, and we tend to show off, we tend to um, go sidetrack. And uh, because we feel that we should fix it or rather I should fix it. <laughs> but I realized something very important based on what you were saying just now. Um, what came to my mind is all things work for good for those who love him. So we, we are excited about the good things, but all things, that means the good and the bad. And this is what I, I learned the hard way that Sometimes we are praying, and especially in Malaysia, many churches, many uh, uh, intercessors, they pray for these seven mountains where we should take leadership or we should take kingship over these areas. I feel sometimes it's partially not true. Is that what God wants when our kingdom is not of this earth? We, we should stay focused on sharing the gospel and getting them to be kingdom minded. And there's something else. So I, I, 
I, I felt that at the bad times, I should, it's an opportunity for me to be truly be led by the Spirit. And uh, one example was when, when Theodore and myself, we were invited to Vietnam to share about uh, marriage counseling. And we, it was good because we had a lot of marriage uh, uh, pastors. Uh, they, they came and we were sharing and it was supposed to be a three-day uh, session. So the first day, wow, we were so excited. That was breakthrough. Second day, excited breakthrough. The third, just after the second day, the Lord said, stop. You know, I was like, you know, should we, should we not stop? So we brought it up to the leadership and the leaders there, they said, no, no, carry on because there's breakthrough after breakthrough. And um, Tiana and I, we felt no, uh, but then there was another couple who actually brought us, they are pastors too. And they said, no, I think we should not continue. So the third day we didn't come. We said, we're not coming. And the police raided the place. Amazing. And seeing foreigners will be straight, you know, doors will be shut for Vietnam. And, and that's the time that we are in now. And I learned that really during the lockdown, because we, we, we have been planting house churches and um, not rather planting house churches, setting up disciples to do the work. And um, when the lockdown came, we found that many churches couldn't sustain, especially in Malaysia, because the government also started uh, clamming on them. But for us, it was, it was the same because we felt that nothing could stop us so god god was leading so wherever the river flows there is healing so whether lockdown or whether this there's opportunity but only thing is that god is teaching us to fine-tune our ears to hear him and that's not easy not easy but um and rightly more i would feel supernaturally things will happen you know and um, and i see that when i entered the altar of prayer um god taught me that just by me sitting in my little closet in my room i see miracles happening that kind of faith god wants us to have because doors are shutting it seems actually it seems like doors are shutting for us because the government, our neighbors, our loved ones are clamming, clamming, clamming us, say, you cannot say this, cannot say that, cannot, 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 cannot. One good example is my son, cannot, cannot, <laughs> you know. So what is, okay, I, I just, that took opportunity for me to pray and pray and pray. And I see slowly, but surely, but, but God is seeing all around. And I like what he said also, Jesus came to free us from carnal understanding. And that's the real battle that we have to overcome, especially in church. Because like what we are doing here, uh, what you're doing online and what we are also doing the same thing, the real structured church will not accept because they feel that there must be one man 
or one woman leading the whole show and we all must be succumb to it. But how are we going to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth when we are just confound to the four walls? And I hope I'm not taking too long. I, I just wanted to share one more. Recently, I went to my relative's house and he is dead against Christianity and um, he's a staunch Hindu. So he was so disappointed about 10 years, 15 years back, he he was just outright and he didn't know me. I, he just got to know me and he was like, and I was, I stayed away, but this time I felt to go back, go back to see him. And he, uh, and he, it, everything was like fresh for him and he brought it up and he said, why did you leave your faith? So I was thinking that was an opportunity. I said, well, and he said that our faith is supposed to be the way of life. It's not a religion. They also called like us, you know, it's not a religion. It's a way of life seeking God. So I said, yes, I sought your faith. But there were so much rules. You cannot do this, cannot do that, cannot connect, cannot. But I said, when, when, even to the extent where I wanted to kill myself, I couldn't die also. But I said, I found in Jesus healing, freedom, freedom emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And there's so much of hope. So after that, he was so nice to me and um, I came back home. Hey, he told me I cannot preach, but I actually shared the whole testimony for half an hour and he quietly listened, you know. So then only I realized it's like all things, the good and the bad. There is a time I think we, I need to seek how to, in every situation, Yes, the kingdom of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And we really need to seek while we are. There is a way where we can share the gospel. Thank you. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Shira. Really beautiful. I hear you when you're sharing. I just keep thinking about how, you know, the book of Acts is still happening today. You know, in different cultures, you're talking about police raiding meetings in Vietnam and, yeah. you know, people from different religions and you're finding yourself in these conversations and with an opportunity to testify, um, you know, the Holy Spirit, and you know, I love what you said, we have to be led by the Spirit. Um, that's yes and amen, you know, um, wherever we are to to be in step with what he is doing and to be so sensitive, Lord, what are you saying? What's the right time? And, and, you know, in America right now, it's almost like, you know, I think social media, for example, one example, we just rush to say whatever comes into our heads or whatever we feel. And we say, well, I'm going to say my truth. That's become kind of a common vernacular. Um, but I think what you're what you're talking about, Shira, is really um, self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit. That you know, just because you feel something doesn't mean it's time to say anything about it, or it yeah. 
probably is not even close to the truth. It's just a feeling. And, you know, to have the self-control, to bridle your tongue, to wait and ask God for wisdom and to be in step with his spirit. I think this is so contrary to what the spirit of the age is trying to like, it's like we're swimming in this ocean, this toxic ocean, uh, you know, and the Lord is inviting us into an, an oasis, his presence, so that we can think like he thinks, move with wisdom, and to stay unstained by the spirit of the age. And that's no small challenge because it's yeah. everywhere. It's the water that we're swimming in. And, and I asked that question earlier, you know, who do you say Jesus is? These questions facing humanity and, and where do you go? What's your source for truth? And pretty much, I'm just going to say it, every other source except the Bible is compromised. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, because I'm, we are staying in Malaysia, it's a Muslim country. And um, we, quite some time back, we had this pastor openly uh, preaching the gospel to the Muslim. And uh, that's it. After that, nobody knows where he is. Oh. All they saw was uh, a four-wheeler, two four-wheelers came and stomped him in the middle of the road. Dark black, like how you see in the <laughs> movies. And that's it. Nowhere. And till today, people have questioned. And we know it's from the authorities, but no, no. Nobody knows. And um, so I realized that in our country, as much as it's so peaceful, but certain things you don't you you don't step into, you know, cross your boundary. But the work of the Lord has not stopped us. So it is like no we we do very subtly, no media, no, no even inviting anyone to uh, any kind of uh, gathering, but does not stop them from hearing and receiving Jesus. So we are in that base in the, um, so, and uh, actually it's a real, um, how you say, obedience mm. and, um, and also learning to see that Jesus is not just God, but our friend for life. Partner, partner. You know, I had my my daughter had this dream, and she said, in the dream, Jesus was telling that he's the shepherd, no, brother's keeper, brother's keeper. So, and that's what I I feel for that to happen. Our carnal my understanding should change. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you so much for sharing, Shira. It's good to hear those stories and testimonies. Um, Can we just, Jed, would you just pray for her and their protection as they minister in Malaysia? Um, my heart is just moved just in hearing really what you're facing, but how the Lord is leading you. And, um, you know, and as you said, it requires courage, faith, great faith, and um, a boldness and a willingness to go and be obedient. And so I just want to bless you and uh, just ask my brother to, to pray. Absolutely. Thanks. Well, we just lift up 
Shira and our brothers and sisters in Malaysia. We lift up our brothers and sisters all over the world that are in and dealing with persecution that in the West we haven't understood experientially yet. And yet our brothers and sisters are on the front lines like this man that she was saying was taken away and no one knows what happened to him. This brother, Lord, wherever he is, we just pray uh, you would be with him and that you would comfort him. You would be his strength and his shield and his song. And uh, Lord, we just pray that your gospel would run swiftly as the disciples prayed. Uh, Lord, notice the th their threats, and we pray that you would stretch forth your hand in boldness and perform signs, wonders, and miracles in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We just pray that signs, wonders, and miracles would, would break forth in Malaysia, in the Middle East, in Africa, in South America, in North America, Lord, all over the world. We pray that as we talk about the book of Acts, Lord, that you would continue to position your people, as we've talked about tonight, being salt and light, to be those who would, who would pray, prophesy, and preach, and speak out the truth, um, and, de and, and declare your word, your gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, I just pray that you would give your servants boldness in Jesus' name, and that you would uh, confirm the preaching of the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. 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 I like the word you said, and I feel that's the season for us to position ourselves. Wow. Thank you very much. Praise God. Uh, other, other thoughts out there tonight? We have about 10 minutes before we'll, we will close. I know that we covered a lot. And again, I'm not saying I have all the answers by any stretch. I'm just saying what's, what was kicking up in my heart. And, and as I was just dealing with some stuff with the Lord, like, Lord, how do we do this right? Um, so hey, it's okay. Feel free to disagree, push back, share where you're at. And uh, yeah, love to hear from you guys. Good evening. This is Connie. Um, just enjoyed everything that was being said. Um, and the, the one thing that, like you had mentioned, the noise, we hear so much noise. And I think I've said it before is noise. And then that leads to confusion. Um, and we know that God is not an author of confusion. Um, and that's my first thought when it comes out. If I get confused, the first thing I say, God is not an author of confusion. So I know he is not in this. Um, but we hear so much, we hear so many things and we have to stay focused on what God is saying in his word. And we have to hold on to him, the peace and the strength and the boldness that he has given to us in these times that we're in and not be fearful um, and not be so, um, I hear it all the time. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to be offending anyone. Well, I mean, we have to speak the word and we can't compromise God's word, but we have to be careful that whole offend i believe that's just something that the enemy is using because we don't want to he doesn't want us to speak up and speak out so i i just i i find hope in the scriptures i find hope when i hear with with the language that it seems like when i speak the language that we've been talking tonight people look at me like i'm speaking some other foreign language it's just we we don't have the common um the the we're not in the same space anymore so I'm just like, cause I'm looking and I'm searching and I'm wanting to understand 
God's word and I'm not hearing it from sources that I think that I should be hearing it from. And when I do speak on it, people look at me like, I don't know what, what it is. And they want to go through their own intellect um, and, and how they look at things and look at things in the in the natural realm and not in the spiritual realm. So I'm thankful for this time that I have with you all because you're speaking my language. That's how I want to say it. You're speaking my language. And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm hearing what I need to hear. So um, I just thank God for the whole lesson and everything and then what he's showing us now in these um, times where it's getting darker and it's getting louder and the division is coming, but there is hope. There is hope. And that's what you have to hold on to. And that hope is Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our hope. Yeah, love you, Connie. You're awesome. And uh, uh, completely agree with you. Um, man, hold on to Jesus. That's the that's the message right now. Mm, so good. It is so beautiful, though, the fellowship. I mean, I actually, like, it just resonates in my heart why he said, don't forsake the assembling together, because we need each other. We need to be reminded, even of scriptures that we know and we've heard. We need to hear it another, said another way through a brother or sister, some other perspective that the Holy Spirit has revealed, maybe that we haven't gotten yet. We need the encouragement from the word as iron sharpens iron, you know, and as we really let this word become our food. And like you said, Connie, we're, there aren't a lot of truthful sources out there. Um, and so we do have to be cautious. And it's a sad thing, truly, because I think about um, how sad it has become, because the reality is that it's not always felt like this for me. I I have always loved church. I, you know, was always loving to go to church every time the doors were open, you know, and there were a few different churches in my life that, um, you know, that I've had the opportunity to, to have that family in person in these church, in church, but it just seems that, that the voices of, uh, many congregations are, have shifted, you know, in, in the culture. And, um, we do have to be very discerning, and it's all by the power of the spirit because he's the one it says who leads us in all truth. So we're hearing through that filter of God's word, you know, which is why it's so important to be in it and stay in it. He said, abide, you know, that we're to abide in him. And if my word remain in you, you know, so that word, because he is the word, that's how we abide in him in the word. So praise the Lord for you know, for all of you that just continue, I love the faithfulness of this group. And, you know, I know we're, we're a little smaller group tonight, but there's many, you know, that have been, continued to come over the course of our time together. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, the friendships and how the Lord's knitting our hearts together. And, you know, that we can be in places like, um, you know, Jed's in Virginia right now. I'm in South Carolina. Uh, Shira's in Malaysia. Um, Connie, I think she's in Washington, but I mean, people, you know, we're, we're connecting through the power of the internet, certainly a tool that the enemy has used, but listen, God is greater and he uses things in redemptive ways and praise the Lord for this way. I was thinking, you know, about that word ambassador, you know, as we think about it, we're getting ready to head out from here tonight, but you know, what's an ambassador? Well, if you're you're in a foreign country, but you're representing 
your your kingdom. You're in a different kingdom, but you're representing the kingdom where you're from and its interests, and you're engaging that. And I, I, I like the idea that the kingdom of God, wherever you are as an ambassador, just like a, an earthly ambassador would have a telephone in that embassy and can call back to headquarters and say, hey, here we need, this is what we need, resources, this is what we need, this is what's going on, what do you want me to do? The, you know, that's the phone, that's our prayer. And God wants us to be those ambassadors of the kingdom wherever he puts us. So go ahead, Deb, jump in. Yeah, I'm just, just amazed at what you just said. Um, my phone's on the charger. I try not to have it on while I'm in class, but I heard it go off and I'm in a, I'm also in a group in, out of Jerusalem and I just got two texts and the first one said, an, what is an ambassador? <laughs> an ambassador is the president's highest ranking representative to a specific nation, internal or international organization, effective ambassador has to be a strong leader, a good manager, a resilient negotiator and a respected representative of the United States. And But what caught my eye was this next one, and it was actually earlier when we were talking about kingdoms and power, and I, I think about uh, Yeshua being with, with uh, Herod, and who are you, and are you a king, and what your kingdom is, and, and, it, and who, where is the power, really? Who do we look to when we have power, and, and as we make decisions in life about where we stand, like, just like you said, with, in, in, uh, with uh, the... Daniel and the, the men in the furnace and, and how do you pick who you'll listen to but this thing with like power so this was delegate this is delegated power delegated powers the constitution has given governments power and there are three types of power implied expressed and inherent and as I was looking at that those two texts came kind of back to back and, and I just thought who the government gives the power but where do we know the power really comes from and what is the power that we really uh, yield to and what is the power that we really abide by and in and those things are so important when we I think uh, like listening to Shira's story where do we make that decision and you even brought up the scripture you know do I do it pleases you or what pleases God so where where is the power that we respect and, and, and where so it's just so interesting that those two texts came while you were talking and I would look at them, but that was what was kind of going through my mind as you were talking and those texts came in with those little blurbs, but I, I think that's going to be, it's always been an important thing, but I think as we're called to make decisions about how we proceed and what, what government says we're supposed to do, where we look to the power, is that the power we abide by? And, and drawing that line, is that contrary to God's word? And do we follow that? Yes, we respect our powers of authority or the people in leadership. But if, if they're saying something that's not in accordance with the word of God, then we have to you know, make those decisions. So who has the power? Who, what is the power that respect? Where does that power come from? And how do we proceed given who we know and where the power comes from? So those are kind of all swirling. As, as you were talking, and then those two things came in, which I wasn't going to look at, but I had to share. The Lord wants us free from the fear of man, and he wants us free from the praise of man. And, and you know, that's the, the true prophetic. You know, you think about the prophets that spoke for the Lord. They, they didn't do it for the praise of men, and they, they, they weren't afraid of the consequences of speaking 
for the Lord. And they had a hard job. It was a hard calling um, to be those ambassadors and to be the ones to represent the king, the, the, the king's will, capital K. Um, so it's just an interesting, um, and I was thinking too, as we were talking about that, as you're sharing uh, about persecution, you know, gaslighting is nothing new. You know, Jesus said, uh, the day is going to come where they're going to throw you out of the synagogue and they're going to claim they're doing God a service. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, the, what is in our heart? He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. And so the idea that there's people who claim to serve God, and then they're actually throwing out people who are disciples of Jesus. And he said, you know, if they do it to the teacher, they're going to do it to the student. You know, if they do it to the green tree, what are they going to do to the dry tree? And so I think these are, are really good thoughts for us to think about and go to, go to the Lord about. Lord, what, what does it mean to be free from the fear of man? What does it mean to be free from the praise of man? And to live for that audience of one, and as Shira was saying, to be led by the Spirit uh, in all that we do. And maybe he will put us in a political arena to, to bring his word with clarity and truth and be a light, or the media, or the arts, or one of these other mountains of society. But our ultimate hope is tied to presence of, of God and, and the truth revealed through his word. So um, I know we are a few minutes over, so I'll just pray and just ask for the Lord's blessing on you guys as we go from this point. So uh, Heavenly Father, we, we just bow our heads and our hearts um, and we see in part and we know in part. And these are, these are complicated conversations. We don't want to oversimplify things. Lord, we know you're moving on so many different levels. And Lord, you do bring change and revival. And, and you do bring godly leaders into influence. And yet you also move through tremendous persecution and challenge. And as Shira said, as, as your word says, Lord, you, you work all things together for good. And so even as we watch all of the clashes around us, political, cultural, religious, uh, we just declare, Lord, our faith and our hope is in you alone. And your word says, whoever hopes in the Lord will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed. So we just declare our hope and our trust is in Jesus as the son of the living God alone. We don't stand by our own righteousness or our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own opinion, our own desires of what we want to see here, there, or anywhere, we just simply say, as Jesus taught us to, your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your name is to be hallowed above all names. You alone deserve all honor, all glory, and all praise. Lord, forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we thank you for your provision daily and over the course of our life. You are a good father and you are a good provider. And we trust you. And you deserve all the glory, all the power, all the honor now and forever because it's your kingdom. We thank you for tonight. Pray your grace and blessings over Everybody here on the, on the call tonight, those that were unable to make it, Lord, we just pray your blessings over them. 
Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us to be faithful witnesses and to be salt and light, kingdom influencers wherever you would send us, that with, with skill of, a, of a seasoned ambassadors, we would represent your truth uh, in every situation, Lord, that hearts would, would uh, repent and come into uh, salvation through Jesus alone. Amen and amen. Bless you guys. Praise the Lord. And so we'll look forward to seeing you guys back next Monday. And also uh, Wednesday, don't forget if you're available to join us for prayer, uh, 7 a.m., 12 noon, 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. So God bless you all. Shalom, shalom. Thank you.